Hello and welcome to the second installment of the Bonafide Basketball Podcast. I'm here today with my co-host Rodney. How's it going, Rod? All right, man. It's good to be here. Thanks. It's great to have you. Looking forward to talking about the finals today, our game one takeaways and predictions for game two. So let's go ahead and dive right in. What were your takeaways from game one? My biggest takeaways from game one, I felt that the Cavs were getting killed on the offensive boards and that gave the Warriors a lot of second chance opportunities to get themselves going. At the beginning, we clearly saw that both teams were coming out to play really hard, maybe a little overexcited for the moment. This is the moment we've all been waiting for all year. So I believe that both teams came a little overexcited. The Warriors out-hustled the Cavs to the offensive rebounds. Throughout the course of the season was a major weakness of theirs. Being able to flip that was a major difference early, in my opinion. Turnovers as well. Turnovers helped kill the Cavs. At one point, it was like 18-2 favoring Golden State. Definitely. One thing I really think affected the Cavs was the Warriors came out so strong and fast to the point where in a normal game, they might have called it a foul. Because the Warriors were doing it every play, the refs couldn't just call a foul every time down the court. And so I think that kind of set the tone early. They played kind of rough. There were a lot of times where it looked like LeBron might have been fouled and he didn't get the call like he usually gets. I think because the Warriors came out ready that they just played like that from the start. Yeah, I completely agree with that. The Cavs just need to come out tomorrow night with more fight. And I believe that maybe some of the calls that they believe didn't go their way could actually change and go their way. Yeah, one thing... I wanted to touch on from game one was the Cleveland bench. I mean, LeBron, statistically, he had a good game. For any other player in the league, it's a great game. But for LeBron's standards, that's just not going to cut it. And looking at their bench, LeBron can't do it alone, too. If he's having a good game, even a great game, with the bench production from game one, was not going to see a win by the Cavaliers. I mean, Kyle Korver, Darren Williams, scoreless. J.R. Smith, three points. Tristan Thompson, he only played 22 minutes. He was virtually non-existent. Shumpert had five points. Channing Fried got a DMP again. Really inconsistent bench play. Yeah, touching back on J.R., the three points that he had were the first three points of the game, if you remember that crazy yeah. corner three that he hit to start the game. So after that, he was practically useless on the offensive end. I think the Cavs, what they're trying to do is they're trying to attack Curry early. And that was one of the points I was going to bring. Wherever Curry is on the floor, you can see that they're trying to set like a screen and try to get a switch on Curry. I don't know. I feel like that's that kind of kills like the rhythm of their offense in a sense. Yeah. In the first podcast where we set our finals predictions, one of the things I noted was J.R. Smith is an X factor for this team. When he plays well, they do well as a team. Now, it doesn't have to be him every night, but somebody on their bench other than their big three, Kyrie, K-Love, LeBron, has to step up. Whether it's another starter in someone like Tristan Thompson or J.R. Smith or even someone like Kyle Korver to come in and hit three or four threes in a game, that's the type of play they will need if they want to even have a chance against the Warriors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Kyle Korver comes in the game and he's 0 for 3 from 3. Darren Williams mm-hmm. is 0 for 2 from 3. Uh, JR's 1 for 2. That's just like what you see going up and down the box score. And that's just something they're going to need to hit 
if they want to compete with Golden State. You wanted to bring up, actually, about Channing Frye. My first thoughts are, you know, I know Channing Frye is not exactly known for his ball defense, and the Warriors in the past have exploited him by getting him in a pick and roll, getting a switch on whether it be Curry or with Durant now. My argument is Tristan Thompson was completely taken out of the game so much that he was only able to play 22 minutes, 0 for 3, 0 points, negative 13 on the plus minus overall. Channing Frye can give that to you. If you're going to get that from Tristan Thompson, Channing Frye can be that bad. At least put a guy in who could maybe hit a shot. Like when they brought Channing Frye in, they brought him in for scoring and shooting to compete with the Warriors. They didn't bring him in to do what Tristan Thompson does. I think they can be played in tandem. And if Tristan Thompson's going to be taken out of the game, you might as well give Channing Frye a chance. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I think the best time to play Channing Frye would be like when the Warriors go big and they play uh, JaVale McGee or David West. Yeah, I think Channing Frye can battle with those guys and JaVale McGee, he's like a big rim protector. Have Chang Fry out on the floor and guard, and have McGee guarding him. And LeBron has a clear lane to the basket. Yeah, definitely. One big thing that could get Channing Fry in the game is there are a couple lineups that Mike Brown threw out the other night where Clay Thompson was the best scorer and player on the floor for the Warriors. No KD, no Curry, no Draymond. There was one lineup there. There was a stretch of a few minutes and that's the perfect time to insert a Channing Fry where he's not going to be exploited you can give him a chance if he gets hot leave him out there I think in, a, in an instance like that what do you have to lose yeah that that's completely correct and even like not even just the Channing Fry point but when the Warriors only have Clay Thompson that would be the best time for the Cavs to make a push or either gain a lead or close down on a lead I don't see the Warriors really doing that, where they like keep three out of the four stars out. But I think that they had a lead at that point, and they felt comfortable doing that. There were a lot of guys that got in really early for the Warriors. McAdoo, he was surprising. He barely gets in the game, and he played more minutes than he has probably all playoffs except in some blowouts. You know, he played a meaningful four minutes when he was on the floor. They inserted him to play some key defensive plays near the end of the half and quarters. That's another time where if it's a close game, he's not going to play. If you're Ty Lu, you got to see those things and think, who can I get going? You might as well throw Channing Fry out there and see what he can give you. You see this all the time in sports and big playoff games. Someone gets thrown into the fire and steps up. Um, it's the perfect time to do it. Channing Fry, you know he can shoot. For them to have a chance, they need an X factor. It's worth a shot in throwing Channing Fry out there. Yeah, and one of the things that I noticed as well is the Cavs didn't do a really good job of taking advantage of when Draymond Green got in foul trouble really early. Uh-huh. I think that once Iguodala came in for Green, Iguodala played as if he was Green, or if not better. I mean, he kind of picked up the Warriors team um, from their like little sluggish start. Yeah, when Egudala was in the game, he played some great minutes. He came in, hit some big shots. I mean, his shooting percentage from three this whole playoffs has not been very good. He stepped up, had a good seven points. And from Andre Egudala at this point in his career, for seven points and some great defense, that's all you need from him. You know, you don't need Andre Egudala. When you got Steph Curry, you got Klay Thompson, who didn't have a good shooting game, but you got 
KD. Iguodala's not looked at to be a scorer anymore. He's looked at to come in, contribute, play solid defense, make the right play, and I think he did that. Yeah, I think he did a really good job of that, and he's also a good energy guy. Comes in, gives you a couple of dunks to get the crowd going. That's especially at Oracle. That's what you want. You need to get that crowd going. And once they get going, it's tough. Yeah, definitely. And when we're comparing benches here, the Golden State bench: David West, two points; McAdoo, two points; Iguodala, seven points; McGee, four points. They might not have blown it away on the stat sheet. Ian Clark, four points. But compared to Cleveland, their presence on the floor just seemed much more felt. I don't remember one good play from Darren Williams in the 19 minutes he's on the floor. Darren Williams played 19 minutes, zero points, one assist. He was brought in to be a playmaker. That's not going to cut it if they're going to have a chance. Yeah, and the same goes for Corver. He also played the same amount and didn't really do anything. And with those guys being older players, like them coming off the bench and having to run around and guard Curry and Clay Thompson and... Like, they're already defensive liabilities, so when they don't bring anything on the offensive end, it it hurts the team on both ends of the floor and not just the defensive. So Ty Lue, in my opinion, has his hands a little tied, but they'll bounce back game two differently. They'll have their adjustments, and I think that we should be in store for a better game. Whether they win or not, I'm not sure. I think we'll definitely have a better game on our hands. Yeah, game two, Cleveland, they're going to come out ready to go. I think they're going to come out playing rough, playing tough and gritty. If they've watched any of the film, they're going to see the Warriors. They didn't play dirty, but they played physical for the game today. I mean, obviously, compared to 10, 15 years ago, nothing like that. But for today's NBA, they played physical. Durant, every time he got the ball, was going as hard as he can towards the basket. The Cavaliers realized that when you play the teams in the East, you can just mess around and Kyle Korver's going to get his couple open threes and knock them down. You know, against this team, you got to work on defense. You got to get good shots on offense. And it's just a totally different team than anything they played in the East. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think they're a totally different team than anyone's played in NBA history. <laughs> I definitely expect uh, them to make their adjustments, and we should have a different game. And even I could definitely even see, like, some different rotations we were talking earlier we could so easily see Chen and Fry in the game tomorrow night we could see the Cavs go more spacing on the floor I expect JR to show up he's usually bounced back pretty well from like pretty bad games like in the past finals I expect K-Love to play even better on the offensive end he did end up with 21 rebounds which is pretty impressive I expect him to play a lot better and I think a big key for the Cavaliers would be to get to get to the line, get the Warriors players in foul trouble. Mm-hmm. I honestly believe the Warriors aren't as deep as they have been in the past. So if you could get those star players out of the game, it's a huge advantage for the Cavs and to even out the talent. Yeah, when I'm thinking about game two and the rest of the series even, I think all the pressure is not even on LeBron and the players as much as right now I think it's on Ty Lu and the organization because Ty Lu's, you know, he's the coach. On paper, a lot of people have said that the Cavaliers bench is as good or better 
than the Warriors bench this year. So it's up to Ty Lu to find a way to get these players to do what's right. Braun kind of has the leverage here because it's kind of known that he wanted Melo. Granted, I don't think anyone in their right mind would or should have traded K-Love for Melo, but it's kind of one of those situations where LeBron can always, you know, oh, it's not my fault. They didn't make the moves. They didn't put us in a position. You know, they're basically the same team as last year, but they added a couple decent role players. And the Warriors dropped a good player for a great player. They lost Harrison Barnes and got the second best small forward in the league. So I think the the pressure's on Ty Lue and the management because Ty Lue's got to do something with what he's got. The, the players are there. He's just got to make it happen. Yeah, and I think I remember telling you this before behind scenes, but the biggest X factor of this series is Tristan Thompson. It even showed a uh, game one. He played awful, and the Cavs' outcome was awful. I honestly believe that if he has a great game on the glass and kills the Warriors, where, like, which should happen, I think that the Cavs, it's a totally different game. I mean, think about it. The Cavs could shoot the same, but if they keep getting more and more offensive opportunities, then they can capitalize on that and get more buckets to keep up with the Warriors. Yeah, I think one thing about Tristan Thompson is he's kind of a weird player when you think about his impact on the game. He's not a overpowering, dominant center big man. Offensively, he's honestly one of the worst finishing big men out there. But he somehow is effective through rebounding, and he plays so hard that he still manages to get fouled on some of his putbacks, and he's an okay free throw shooter now. He's kind of a weird player, but he does have a huge impact because if you remember even last year in the finals, there were a bunch of times where he came up with huge offensive and defensive rebounds. He was a huge X factor last year, and you know when Bogut went out and Draymond was out suspended, he stepped up huge and really helped contribute to the Cavs winning last year. Yeah, I think I think he's going to step up big tomorrow night. And one thing I've noticed throughout the years watching finals is that usually guys that don't play really well the game before tend to either bounce back great or have like a better game than the one before. So I, I expect him to have like a better game. I also expect Klay Thompson and Jermon Green to have fast starts tomorrow night. I I can definitely picture the Warriors going to them early and trying to get them going. Yeah, Clay Thompson, that's something we definitely got to talk about here. He was terrible on offense, but defensively, he was solid. Um, The players he was guarding, if you look at the statistics, I believe he held his opponents to 8% shooting in game one, which is insane, especially for the type of players he was guarding. My argument is here... You know, what's really better for the Warriors? For Clay Thompson to go off and score a lot of points? Or to keep, you know, the Kyrie Irvings and the entire Cleveland bench wings from scoring? You know, it's it's a tough trade-off because you got such great scores in Curry and KD. Have Clay Thompson score 20 points or have him hold the Cleveland guards to less than 20 points? I mean, it's tough to figure out, but I think... Clay Thompson's defense is actually more valuable than his offense in this series. Yeah, and I think you're 100% correct. I believe if Clay Thompson can use 100% of his energy on defense and stop Kyrie Irving, I think that's a bigger impact as if he were to let Kyrie go off for 30 and only score 20 himself. 
with the Cavs, the best way to beat LeBron James is not to stop him. Uh, stop everyone else around him and force him to do everything. He's a guy that's going to play 42 to 45 minutes a game. If you can force him to do everything the whole game, then he's going to be worn down as crazy and as God-given his body is. But it eventually will break down. Yeah, I agree for two reasons. One, LeBron James, when you talk about the greatest players of all time, Kobe Bryant's of the world, the Michael Jordans of the world. LeBron is a unique type of scorer in that he's not a go-to move type of guy. He's a face up and make something happen off the dribble. You know, he doesn't have like a go-to post move. If you force him to do everything, I think it's actually harder for him to score in certain instances because he doesn't have a go-to move. So he has to drive extremely hard to the basket. He has to take a beating unlike finesse post moves the other aspect of that is when you're forcing lebron to do everything he wants to pass he wants to kick it out and if you're shutting those shooters down who's he going to kick it out to nobody you really put him in a tough spot of where he's okay i can't let this game get away so i gotta be the scorer but if you make it tough on everyone else he can't facilitate and he's got to take a beating, like you said. And I mean, if you're the Warriors, hopefully he breaks down. But if you're the Cavs, you got to find a way to get everyone involved and help him out because he can't do everything. No, that's where you get the guys like Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green and even Kevin Durant. Um, you can see that they're guarding LeBron, but they're sort of like forcing him to score. You can see everyone else is like pretty much staying home on the shooters. That's a great game plan by the Warriors. Um, force LeBron to do everything, and he's not a guy that's going to kill you from the three-point line. Just like Curry, continue to let him shoot. And if he kills you shooting the ball, then there's nothing you can really do about that. Yeah, hearing that kind of brings up the fact that when you have great players like that, there's so many options you can do defensively, but there's really, when you think of it in broad terms, there's two things you can do. One is let that player get their numbers do what they can and stop everyone else or stop that one player and let everyone else go. You know, the Warriors had a choice. In the past, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I remember watching Kobe back in the day and there would be times where teams would let Kobe shoot the ball as many times as he wants. Sometimes Kobe would shoot him out of the game. And then there would be times where they'd let Kobe shoot as much as he wants and he'd score 50 points and they'd win. And so it's tough to know exactly what to do. I think the perfect example of this scenario is the first round, Rockets versus Thunder. You can see that the Rockets made a concerted effort to stop everyone else and just let Russell Westbrook get his numbers. And at the end, it ended up hurting the Thunder because he was so gassed. They weren't very good when he wasn't on the floor, but because he was so gassed, they had no choice but to take him out. Yeah. I 100% agree. And with a player like Russell Westbrook and that team, it's tough to ask guys who the entire year were following Russell Westbrook's lead to just step up. Relating that to the finals, if they hold everyone down and let LeBron do his thing, it's tough to get someone to step up and be able to be that second guy or third guy to contribute to a win. Yeah. I think so, too. Another thing that we haven't really touched based on was how great Kevin Durant was game one. Mm -hmm. He had 38 points on 14 of 26 shooting, 3 for 6 from the three-point line, and 7 for 8 from the free throw line. 38, 
nine and eight. He was a rebound and two assists short of a triple double. But other than that, he had a terrific game. Yeah, Kevin Durant, he came out playing like he had a chip on his shoulder. If you remember the last time he was in the finals, it didn't end quite well with the Thunder. And it looked like he did, he took it personally and was out on a mission to kill the other team. Mm-hmm. You want to hear an interesting stat? Before game one of the finals, LeBron James against Kevin Durant is 18-5, and five, including the finals from 2012. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Talk about having a chip on your shoulder. If I'm Kevin Durant and I see that stat going around all week, I would come out and give LeBron 38 myself. It's known that Kevin Durant and LeBron have a mutual respect for each other and a friendship. And I think Kevin Durant wants to come out and show, you know, hey, I'm not just the little brother anymore. Yeah. And you could see at the beginning of the game uh, before tip-offs, you could see LeBron or you could read his lips saying, oh, like it's. It's good to finally have you back in the finals. So this is definitely like a challenge that LeBron wanted. Obviously, KD wanted to be there as well. And I think that they both gave us a great show, Game 1. Mm-hmm. And I expect that to follow. I do believe that the Cavs will make adjustments, though. Kevin Durant obviously a great scorer and can get 38, but I don't see him getting 38 uh, Game 2. And one of the things that is not talked about would be, I believe Kevin Durant got 16... 18 points off of dunks i mean he got like three from just the guys leaving him a wide open in the fast break because they're afraid of shooters and he got three wide open dunks he won't get those many opportunities uh they'll force him to shoot more i totally agree but he's a great shooter he'll hit tough shots so it it all depends like whenever he shoots or curry shoots you're just praying that it doesn't go in yeah and you bring up a great point this was something i noticed in the game and i'm sure you and all the other viewers noticed that there were a lot of times Kevin Durant or any player on the Warriors was on a fast break and they got a wide open layup because uh, a Cleveland defender was shading out to a, a Curry or a Thompson or even a KD himself on the wing. That's just something so crazy about the game today because traditional basketball, what do they always say? Stop the ball. It is extremely hard for me to fault a guy for going out on Steph Curry at the three-point line. When you think about it, a numbers game, an open three for Steph is pretty close to a guaranteed three points. And when you think about it, let Kevin Durant score two or let Curry score three. Well, I mean, hey, I might shade toward Curry because maybe the next time down the floor we hit a three and that ended up being a plus one for us. It's so tough to know exactly what the right thing to do is. And I think Cleveland, it didn't work the first game, so they're going to have to start stopping the ball. But just when you think about that dynamic now that, you know, stopping the ball might not be the best thing to do when you got, you know, sniper three-point shooters like that on the wings. Yeah, and speaking about that, that's one of the greatest mysteries to certain people that aren't avid basketball fans. And so, like, you notice... Oh, well, it makes sense to stop Durant. He has the ball, like, coming down in fast break. But the impact and the gravity that Steph Curry has when he's on the floor, he forces that to happen just by his presence. And, like, the average basketball fan wouldn't really, like, notice that. But that's one of the things that makes the Warriors so great by his sheer presence and his three-point marksman ability. Thompson as well. And he's another guy. Yeah, and 
that's another reason why even though Clay Thompson had a bad shooting game, he's still so valuable because that floor spacing, you still see he's not necessarily missing wide open shots, maybe a couple here and there. But the reason so many people are upset with Clay Thompson and thinking he's doing so poorly is because he's usually doing so well and one of the best. He still is arguably one of the best shooters, not just in the game today, but all time. He's He's right up there with Curry in terms of productivity over the last few years. And just having him on the floor, taking those shots, spaces the floor on a fast break more than someone like a Sean Livingston, who is great in his own right, but you know he hasn't taken a three-point shot in like two or three years. Klay Thompson on the wing, you still have to be honest because he can explode any second, you know, rattle off three or four threes in a row. Yeah, and that's the thing with Thompson. Like, he's so streaky. The second he sees one fall in, you could blink and he'll have 30 off of threes. The Cavs are doing a great job of keeping him uncomfortable. I hope that they can keep that up for their sake. Once he gets going and Green gets going, uh, Curry and Durant are going to get their numbers. And so at that point, it just becomes a a shootout and hope that you can maybe get some stops. Definitely. Well, about time for us to wrap this up. So what is your... Final prediction for game two. How do you think it's going to go? I believe that the Cavs will come back and they will tie this up 1-1 and going back to Cleveland. Wow. I think the Cavs are going to bounce back and I don't think it's going to be a route like it was first game. But I think the Warriors are going to take this this one as well and be up 2-0 heading to Cleveland. I think the Cavs are going to come out more physical, but at the end of the day, this Warriors team is hungry. We saw it in the first game, and it's hard to beat a team this good and this hungry. Yeah, that's a great point. I just feel like it's tough to bet against the King. It is. This is like the only team I could pick over them. All right. Thank you, Rod. It was a pleasure having you. Bonafide Basketball Podcast today. Yeah, it was a pleasure being here. We'll definitely have you on here a lot more. That's it. If you're looking for any more content for Bonafide Basketball, please find us on social media. Find us on YouTube. You can check out the website at bonafidebasketball.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back for the next installment after Game 2. Stay tuned.